Hello, weary internet travelers, and welcome again to the Before and After Show. I'm still your host, MJ Smith, and if you've never tuned into the show before, here's how it works. Each week, I take a film I've never seen before, and hopefully myself and a guest will give our expectations for the film, and the next week we will tell you what we thought of the film after we have watched it. So, this episode is an after episode, and I am joined once again by my fiance, Kristen Falls. Say hi, Kristen. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How was your week? It was busy. Yeah? Yes. So, I know it was busy. You performed opera I did. this week. How did that go? It was really good. Good. You did several scenes from various operas, correct? I did. Good. Um... I unfortunately had to work and miss it, but uh, all accounts are that it was an awesome, awesome performance. So, yeah, it's good. It's usually super fun. So, I know you were really busy, but did you get a chance to watch anything this week? Just with you. Okay. Um, we, as we said last week, we've been slowly making our way through the Best Picture nominees uh, this year. Uh, we have quite a few left to go if we want to watch them all before the ceremony. <laughs> but last week we watched um, The Imitation Game. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is the biopic about Alan Turing and the birth of his machine that could crack the Enigma Code, which for all intents and purposes was the birth of modern day computing. And computer science as we know it. And Benedict Cumberbatch played Mr. Turing. What did you think? It was hard to know what I thought. Because I usually have a pretty neutral opinion on things. Um, And I feel like the people I saw it with had more strong opinions about it. Okay, so you were just kind of middle of the road on it, or...? Yeah, I mean... Hmm. It's been a while. It's been a while. <laughs> um, it was fine. It was okay. It was okay. I I liked it. Um, it was real boring, kind of. Not in, like, a <laughs> bad way, but it was just, like, there was nothing, like, outside of the fact that Alan Turing was an interesting guy. There was nothing interesting in the movie. Like, they... It was a pretty standard biopic. Like, it was just kind of like, here's this guy's life for this year up to this year. Can I tell you a secret? What? I feel like I feel a little bit that way about a lot of nominees. Yeah, well, that's the interesting thing about this year's nominees is there are eight nominees and I believe four of them are biopics. Yeah. And, uh... That is too many of them because they're all pretty, like, we haven't seen any of the rest of them, I believe. Yeah, we haven't seen any of the rest of the biopics, but they all look pretty standard with the exception of Selma. Um, I think Selma looks interesting. Um, I think Selma looks like they actually did some, some interesting stuff as far as the period goes and things like that. So we haven't seen that, but we will talk to you when we do. Um, Cumberbatch is good in it. He's not bad. I think there are a lot of good people in it. I think all the acting was, I thought was pretty solid. Yeah, that's true. There was a a performance from Matthew Good, um, who played Ozymandias in the Watchmen movie. Yeah. And I forgot how much I like that guy. I want him to pop up in more things. He played sort of a antagonist to Turing early in his career that turned into a friend after working on the, um, the Enigma machine or the universal code cracking machine. Yeah. Um, it was a really good performance from him. I liked him a lot. Uh, I, Benedict Cumberbatch was good. I did mention that I would like to see him play a character who's not Sherlock with a different pace of talking and accent. Yeah, but like we discussed when we were watching it, it was probably just typecasting, which isn't necessarily his fault. And if I were him and I was presented with a chance to be in an, uh, a nominated film, I would say yes. Yeah, um... This is the second time he's been nominated, and he hasn't been in that many films, so 
I think that's saying something. He's a good actor. Uh, he wasn't that way in 12 Years a Slave, which he was also nominated for, and he was quite good in that. Yes. Um, I liked so. that movie. I liked that movie a lot better than I liked this movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I feel like that movie is something I liked a lot more than any of the nominees we've seen so <laughs> far this year. It, it, so far, what we've seen hasn't been the strongest. Um, I think on a technical level, Grand Budapest Hotel is probably the best. On a gimmick level... Boyhood's probably the best, and <laughs> Imitation Game kind of doesn't really offer anything that special. Well, uh, I feel like I don't know if this is something that can... Well, I mean, I feel like it's something that should be brought to the table, but I think that the character relationships and um, just... Like you said, with all of the biopics, it's all about something different. And I feel like with this one, um, with him being gay, it was a very good representation of that period of time and how it dealt with that. But also the realistic relationships that just people have with people that are going through something (coughs) like that. Excuse me. (laughs) Uh, I think that... A lot of them were really ridiculous, but also people act ridiculous, so... Yeah, um, well, I mean, it's what we were talking about. I don't think any of the performances were bad, but, Mm -hmm. I like, nothing really, like, stood out, stood out for me. Like, I mean, I guess I can kind of see why Benedict Cumberbatch is nominated, but... I don't know. Compared to some of the other guys that are nominated in his category, I feel like he's just gonna flounder in it um it's true well maybe but i feel like we have to see the other things first i don't think you can just jump to that conclusion yeah maybe it's because i like michael keaton more than i like benedict cumberbatch see but that's not liking a performance that's just liking an actor yeah but i mean i don't know cumberbatch was he was he was fine in it but um i don't know i he like it was it was a fine performance and he his breakdown at the end, uh, spoilers, I guess, for Alan Turing's life, were was really well done. And, like, he, yeah. he hit all the emotional beats well. And I'm not necessarily sure this is his fault. I just think the movie's such a by-the-numbers biopic that it kind of muted the work he was doing. Um, it was really, I mean, it was it's really straight down the middle fair for that kind of movie yeah um, i mean there's a little bit of time hopping but that even happens in like walk the line like walk the line is framed around him getting ready to go on stage at Folsom prison and it's like his life up until the Folsom prison concert and then a little bit of his life after and then it's over and this was like his life after the building the universal machine and then flashback to his life like building it and then you know interspersed with him being arrested in 51 after and so it was just this like it was it hit all the the tropes of the biopic it's true in a more confusing way yes that's what i was gonna say um i feel like boyhood and Imitation Game did a really bad job at time hop transitions because I was really confused. Not in, not so much in Boyhood because I was just like, oh, well, they did a bad job at that every time. Mm-hmm. But I knew when it was happening. Right. Um, <laughs> I think Ariel may have been getting a little bit annoyed at me, or but maybe not. But she had to point out when time was switching and explain to me what was going on. Yeah, we basically had to tell you any scene with that bald guy in it is 1951. (laughs) Which, if you have to say the statement, any scene with that bald guy in it is 1951, they did a bad job. (laughs) Um, I mean, you guys, listeners, you guys have heard me complain about that before. That's my biggest pet peeve, uh, other than length. Of things like I think movies are too long, and I think that they do a bad job if they have more than one period of time going on, or telling you how long, like how many years or days or weeks or months something goes on. Um, I, I think that's something that a lot of modern movies suffer from. So I was unsurprised to see that, if not disappointed. Mm. But yeah, um, so that's the Imitation Game. It was good enough. Like, I'm not mad we saw it. No. Um, it's it's certainly worth a watch. Uh, 
the scene where the machine finally works and the scene where they they crack the code is fantastic i really really like that whole sequence of events a lot yeah so i'd say it's worth a watch for that uh it's pretty slow goings up until that point and then it's pretty rushed to the end like we've accomplished the thing credits well i guess but it does go through basically the end of his life so there is that it doesn't just stop there yeah i mean you're right but it, it, it like from the time that sequence of events ends to the end of his life, there's 15 years that we don't go through. Yeah. Um, where he's b- d- developing the computer, uh, which is probably pretty boring to watch, mm-hmm. to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it was it was it was good enough. I don't know. Um, I don't. I guess I don't have any strong feelings on it either way. Like, it's not bad. It's not great. It's good. Yeah. I like I said. I I don't really either. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a likable movie. Did you watch anything else this week? No, I started to watch the new Constantine, but then you came over and fixed my computer. Okay. Uh, Kristen is still watching Constantine for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why either. Yep. But I just need to know what happens. That's that's fine. I've totally, I totally understand that. I watched something else this week. It was also a pretty busy week for me, so I didn't get a, a ton in. But I saw the new Keanu Reeves vehicle, uh, John Wick. And it's sweet! Oh my gosh, you guys need to go watch it. It's so so good. It's so good. I want to watch it again so much. Watch it again with me. I will do it because it's really good. It's one of my favorite uh, performances I've ever seen Keanu give. Um, It's hands down the thing I've liked him the most in since Speed. Really? Oh, yeah. Since Speed? Yeah. Like, I, he's fine in The Matrix. Like, uh-huh. I like him in that movie, but I love him in Speed, okay. and I love him in this movie. He's so good in this movie. Oh, my gosh. There's oh, it's a perfect action movie, you guys. Like, it might be a little too long, and the end is a little bit ridiculous, but it's so satisfying. <laughs> um the action is so well shot in this movie. I knew everything that was happening. I knew everything that was going on. I knew where everyone was. It didn't shy away from, like, letting things happen in the view of the camera. Um, yeah. It had a perfect amount of setup. And I think I was talking to you about this. Um, Probably. Anytime I watch an action movie since the first Taken, yeah. I check the timestamp whenever the action gets going if I'm watching it on DVD. Because Taken is a perfect action movie to me. Because it's about 25, 20 minutes of setup. And then an hour of Liam Neeson wrecking fools. (laughs) And I love that. And so at this one, I wanted to see how it compared. Because I could tell... Like, you can tell when things start to ramp in this movie. And I wanted to see when it was finally all going to come to a head and the action was going to start because you can you get the vibe immediately that this is going to be like taken where it's like there's going to be some ramping and then when it hits it's just going to be an hour of that and then the movie's going to be over yeah so i checked the timestamp on this and it was 30 minutes exactly and that said to me that the people who made this movie and the people who were in charge of editing this movie made a conscious choice to do exactly one half hour of setup before ish hit the fan and it served them so well like it's so tightly edited how long is the movie the movie's like an hour 42 an hour 45 okay um so it's a little bit too long it might be like 15 minutes too long but that setup like there's no way it wasn't a choice to do exactly 30 minutes of setup because it the first action beat is timed so perfectly with the 30 minute mark that Mm -hmm. i can't i can't figure anything else uh being like i can't figure that being anything but an intentional choice so that was awesome i really liked uh just all the action there's a nightclub scene that's awesome um there's like the the good guy got captured what's gonna happen to him scene and he monologues in it and it's one of the best performances i've ever seen keanu give That monologue is so sweet. And just like, yeah. And there's like some surprise people along the way. Like Ian McShane shows up for a half second. And Willem Dafoe is in it. I didn't know he was going to be in it. Uh, it's 
it's awesome. I really, really like that movie a lot. It's the best. It's my favorite action movie since the first Taken. We'll see. Yep. Now I have to watch it. Again. It's true. Well, me for the first time. Yep. Uh, yeah, John Wick was was awesome. But that's kind of it on our what we watched this week roster. So we're here because we literally just finished watching the 1973 film uh, The Exorcist. We did. Uh, I mean, we we stopped it and started recording this episode. Immediately. We didn't even get up from our couch. No, we did do couch. that, actually. Oh. Although, this, the cord on this mic might be long. Whatever. Um, <laughs> so, to refresh everyone's memory, what kind of were your expectations heading into this movie? I think I was nervous. Cause I, well, I wasn't at first, and then you said all the scary things about it. Which makes me, which made me feel scared. You made me scared. Oh. I was a little nervous about it, too. I certainly had it hyped up for me. Um, my father, who is, you know, one of the biggest scaredy cats I know, so maybe I shouldn't have taken <laughs> uh, this at face value. He hates this movie because of how scary oh, it I is. I didn't know he hated it. Yeah. Um, and so, I, you know, it's one of those things you keep hearing it's the scariest movie of all time. You keep hearing it's the scariest movie of all time. You build this up in your brain and then, you know, the end result is, I, it doesn't, it can't, there's no way it can live up to the hype. Yeah. But I was like psyched out by this movie before we watched it. Uh-huh. Um, so the, our expectations were that it was going to be real scary. I had said that if it was super gratuitous and not like hopeful and redemptive, I would hate it. Yeah. And I just, I... I just expected, like, a good story out of it. It seemed like a movie that, that we talked about this last week, a movie that was, like, a hope-filled horror movie. Yeah. Which we're seeing, like, a, re- a renaissance of mm-hmm. nowadays. And, uh, well, what do you think? I think that it was a good movie. I think that we talked about a lot of the, the really great camera work that happened. Wow, um, yeah. That kind of showed it it really gave it a lot of character Uh, i think the acting was great um and i think all of the practical effects were great i think however that it just seems probably because i guess there's a book that goes that it's based off it's based off a novel yeah um and i think that a lot of people either read it or just there were a lot of assumptions made. I feel like there's a whole lot more to the story that wasn't really shown in the movie. It's true. There were certain, like, cuts. Like, Friedkin would put in these, like, these just scenes that felt like chunks of larger scenes. Like, mm-hmm. not even chunks, but snippets. Like, there's a scene where um, Father Karras, yeah. sort of the main priest in the, in the film, he is dealing with his mother not dying she's dying she hasn't died quite yet but she is in a home she's in a home because she had like a wound on her leg and she was old yeah i'm not i'm not too sure but she's she's dying and then it cuts to him boxing in the gym yeah for like maybe five seconds and it felt like that was part of a longer scene like it felt like that should like there should have been a scene of him going to the gym establishing that he's actually like really concerned about physical fitness because it was the first time we'd really seen that from him well did you notice when he came into her house though all the pictures of him boxing nope okay so i'm like by the bed when he puts the jacket down there, he looks at the mantelpiece, and I think it's a younger picture of her and, like, two pictures of him boxing like he used to actually box. Okay, that makes more sense because the detective later on in the movie has a line that he looks like a boxer. Yeah. And I said, it's true, he does look like a boxer. Yeah. And then the detective in the movie said, it's true, you do look like a boxer. And I was like, what you doing to me, movie? Yeah, I think that, that whole part made a lot more sense to me than it did to you. Yep, sure did. Okay. I did not pick up on those pictures of him boxing at all. But what I really enjoyed about this movie, um, well, first off, heading into this movie, I had done a little bit of research uh, after we had recorded the before episode. Okay. And I found out that this movie was nominated for 10 Academy Awards in 1974. 10 Academy Awards. Wow. It was nominated for Best Picture, 
Best Actress, Ellen Burstyn. Best Supporting Actor, Jason Miller, who plays uh, Karis. Yeah. Best Supporting Actress, Linda Blair, who plays Reagan. Uh, Best Director. Best Writing. uh, Best Screenwriting for an Adapted Screenplay. Best Cinematography. Best Editing. Best Production Design. And Best Sound Mixing. And it was funny because there was several points where I thought... I didn't say this to you, but Uh I was like... I wonder if this got nominated for Sound Oscars, and if it oh. did, it should have won, and it did. It okay. won two of those ten Oscars. It won uh, Best Adapted Screenplay, uh-huh. and it won Best Sound Mixing, because the technical work in this movie was fantastic. I have a question. Yes. Has a horror movie won or been nominated for any awards since then? I'm not too sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I assume The Shining was probably nominated. Okay. Um, this was the first horror movie nominated for any Academy Awards, and okay. 10 is a lot of Academy Awards, like... It is. Um, I'm not sure, sorry, um, I'm not sure if it was for the Oscars or the Academy Awards, but I think... It's the, the same w- thing. Oh. Well, that's... I'm not a film person, but, you know, whatever. So, I think that the only movie off the top of my head, of course there are probably movies that have gotten more... The only movie off the top of my head that has gotten more that I've been in love with was The Lord of the Rings. How many did that get? Do you know? Uh, I feel like like the third one may have gotten nominated for like 15 or something crazy. I was going to say either 12 or 17. 12 sounds right, too. I think it may have won 12 and been nominated for 15. Um, Yeah, uh, that's that's a ton of awards to be nominated for, especially for a horror movie. Like, horror movie is usually looked at... Kind of like Drek. I mean, it is a horror movie. Like, it very much is a horror movie. Mm-hmm. But it's a slow burn, man. Like, this movie's two hours and two minutes long. And it feels like it's two hours and two minutes long. It feels a lot longer, actually. I felt like we watched that movie for, like, two and a half hours. Yeah, but you know what? I was thinking about it, and I was getting really frustrated at some points. Because I'm just like, okay... You need to see that she's possessed now. Okay, stop saying that it's something else. She's definitely possessed now. Mm. But I also feel like that definitely captures the feelings that the mom had. Where she, well, when she finally realized, because she was pretty stupid too. But when she finally realized, like, she was just like, come on, help this, help my daughter out. And they were like, I don't know. This is not what she needs. Yeah. So I felt. I don't know if that was on purpose, but it seemed like a lot of things were on purpose. Yeah. So it may have, they may have made it felt like that because that accurately makes you feel like how frustrating that is. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot in this movie that's highly, highly intentional. Reagan's mother is an actress, Ellen Burstyn's character. She was in a movie called Angel. Uh, Father Karras, his first name is Damien. Mm-hmm. There's just so many things like that. Like, I, I was even trying to argue down to the point that <laughs> the daughter's name is Reagan, and Reagan was the governor of California, and he was a former actor, and she was the child of an actress. Like, I thought there was meaning in that. I can't tell you what. Uh, but I, I was looking for even that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. I was looking for connections to Vietnam. Like, everything seemed super intentional over the course of this movie, and I liked that. It was really, like fleshed out and detailed yeah i think it also we were talking about um it also said a lot about like the psychiatry during the time Mm -hmm. which i thought was fascinating because it's always interesting to me when people are not accepting of like mental disease and that was like it was not as accepted until more recently yeah yeah it was i think it did a very good job like capturing the period at was filmed in like it's yeah it's a good time capsule while still being very timely i think there are certain movies that capture their era but only kind of work in their era mm-hmm. um this is going to be two completely opposite ends of the spectrum as far as movies are concerned okay. i think citizen kane not citizen kane that is one that's not <laughs> the one i wanted to say i think citizen kane very much captures the 30s and the roaring 20s very well. I don't think it works as well with modern audiences. A lot of people just shut their computers off right now because they hate me for not liking Citizen Kane that much. <laughs> um, I think Easy Rider very much captures the counterculture of the 60s. Uh, I think it plays real weird and boring to a 2015 audience. Mm-hmm. I think Scott Pilgrim vs. the World is an incredible movie and it's fantastic. I think 
you know, 40, 50 years from now, it's going to be real stupid. Yeah, but we'll still like it. It's true. Um, it, it's, it, but I feel like that movie like really captured the sort of video game culture and, and things that dominate our culture and like the sort of self-referential thing, like these like, weird meta things. And it, it, there's just a lot of like fringy layers to that movie. And mm-hmm. like, I think Easy Rider and Citizen Kane also have that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think The Exorcist doesn't feel out of place 40 years later. Yeah. Something else I want to talk about uh, that you've already touched on is the camera work in this movie. Yeah, I knew you would want to. Oh, man, you guys. You guys need to watch this movie for the camera work alone. Like, (laughs) it's so good. Also, you were really good at analyzing that uh, right off the bat because you were saying things that I did not notice. So, So here's the thing. If you guys don't already, you need to check out a YouTube channel called Every Frame a Painting. Oh. It's this guy named Tony Zhao, and he... I'm not sure what his deal is, to be perfectly honest with you. Okay. But he has this eye for cinema that I am the most jealous person in the world of. It's, the <laughs> kind of, it's the, exactly the kind of stuff that I would like to do. It's kind of the stuff I would like to accomplish with this podcast without being a ripoff. Don't be mad at me, Tony Zhao, because you're totally hearing this right now. <laughs> um, he, he's just got such this like eye for like where, like where the camera is and like where the characters are in relation to that. Uh-huh. And he released two new videos specifically about that this last week. And so it was very much at the forefront of my mind because I watched them yesterday, I believe. Okay. So it, it was, it was already there. Um, one of the things we were talking about, though, was this is a pretty early supernatural horror movie. Okay, I think yeah. a lot of horror movies up until this point were, like, serial killers or... Monsters. Like, monsters, which is supernatural, I guess, but... Yeah, monsters, um, and when was the birds made? Because you were saying that Alfred Hitchcock didn't really make supernatural films but i feel like a bunch of birds attacking people isn't exactly normal either yeah that's true the birds was in the 50s okay so you know a good 20 years before this yeah but we were talking specifically about hitchcock being you know the father of modern horror and suspense but this movie like had a lot of hitchcockian camera work in it but very much also had like i think it used the hitchcock stuff as a foundation mm-hmm. and then just expounded upon it. I think it just, like, extrapolated a bunch of things from the Hitchcock. Like, it used Hitchcock as a groundwork and then just blew it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and it led to a lot of the modern horror tropes we see today. Uh, specifically, like, the way people are framed in the movie and, like, yeah. even though they're being shown, like, they're being shot at a low angle looking up at them, the camera's tilted so they're a little off balance in terms of their power. Yeah. At that point, like, nothing's nothing's on solid ground for all these characters. Like, there's a lot of tilted angles in mm-hmm. this movie. Another thing is the way he shoots around the staircase of the house. Yeah, once you started saying that, I was pointing them out to you so I could be smart as well. Yeah. So, the the little girl gets possessed, and she spends kind of the remainder of the movie in her room yeah. being possessed. Yeah. And as a result, in order to get the little girl in the movie, people have to enter her room because that's where she's staying for the remainder of the film. In order to get to her room, you have to go upstairs. So there's this staircase that's constantly in use over the course of the movie. And I, I was saying I don't think he shot it twice the, over the course of the entire film. Yeah, it was very... And some of the, the filming of that was very strange, too. Like, when they shot the two priests going up... It was like this weird, like, cut thing. Like, it it showed one of the priest's face and then it cut to the other ones really drastically. Yeah. It was very strange. Yeah, it was it was really interesting. But that's Psycho. Do you remember when we watched Psycho? Mm-hmm. There was all kinds of staircase work in that. Yeah. When Norman goes up to talk yeah, to his mom. Yeah, a really good scene. Um, and, like, when Norman goes up to talk to his mom, when Norman goes and takes the body to his mom, there's that staircase. And so every time Norman goes up the staircase, you know something crazy is going to happen. Yeah. And Hitchcock doesn't shoot that staircase twice, the same way twice over the course of that movie either. Mm-hmm. In this one, when people start going up the stairs, you know stuff's going to happen. Yeah. 
Yeah. And he, Friedkin doesn't shoot the stuff twice. But even the dialogue scenes are super well shot. Like, they're really dynamic. Yeah. Um, The scene where uh, the mom, Ellen Burstyn's character, Uh is talking to the detective who's investigating the death of the director of the film she's starring in. Yeah. I don't know if you noticed this or not. But instead of just shooting it, um, I call it Scorsese style, but shooting it where they had one camera he- one camera facing one yeah. actor and one camera facing the other actor. Yeah. It seemed like they, sh- they shot it over the shoulder of both the other actors. So they had to do one take where they shot it over his shoulder completely and one shot where they shot it over her shoulder completely. Uh-huh. But the more they talked to each other, the camera started slowly zooming out. And the longer they talked, the longer the zoom got and the further away from each other, it looked like they were drifting. Mm -hmm. And it just like represented to me this like, they both kind of know what happened with the director, but none of them is going to show their hands. So they start off like kind of close in the scene and then just drift further and further apart where she doesn't want to give up Uh any information because she knows her daughter did it. And he doesn't really want to call her on it because he likes her. Uh, he even ends the scene by asking for an autograph. So he's yeah. like, he's in a weird spot where he like can't let his, like he's letting his emotions get in the way too hardcore about yeah. it. So it just puts this distance between them and they show, like they illustrate that yeah. in the shot composition and like. Well, but it's not just about the actress too, um, why he's doing that though too. It's because like he says in that scene, the only way that guy could have died was be- was by a really strong man. Like he was, he I feel like he probably thought of the little girl, but I think at that point he also thought it was pretty impossible. Yeah. Um, and then even when he talks to Father Karras, like, the dialogue is really dynamic and that. Like, there's always something happening in the shots of these movies. Yes. Of this movie. And it's, like, it just makes it more interesting to watch. Yeah. Like, I was more interested watching this than I was Imitation Game, because Imitation Game was a little two hours of people standing around talking to each other, <laughs> and it was shot, like, two hours of people standing around talking to each other. Yeah, well, like I said, the camera work gives the whole movie a completely different character. Yeah. Yeah, the camera was a character in this movie, by far. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I think that's what a lot of modern-day horror movies, especially possession movies, don't really get right, is the camera work. Like, mm-hmm. Except for, again, uh... The Conjuring. Yeah. But watching this after watching The Conjuring, like, this movie's not a rip-off. That movie's not a rip-off, but it's very much... It has the same feel. Yeah. It's very much in the style of The Exorcist. It's yeah. a very good movie, but The Exorcist is a very good movie, so... Yeah. That would make sense. So, spoilers for the 43-year-old movie, or however old, a 42-year-old movie. Yeah. Um, it ends with an exorcism. What? And... It's originally, like, Father Karras wants to do the exorcism, but they don't really trust him. Yeah. So they bring in Father Merrigan, and Father Merrigan is played by Max von Sydow, who kind of bookends the film. Yeah, okay, see, that's a problem that I had. That was one of the things I didn't think they expounded on. Mm-hmm. Because, like, basically this guy knew what this demon was, but he never once talked about it or said hey, I recognize this, how it does things. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like they could have done a lot more with that yeah. than him just being like, nope. I mean, in a sense, he's like, it doesn't matter. Which right. is what he says. It doesn't matter. Right. But also, as a viewer, I just want to know more of the story. But at the same time, we, we kind of only see Max von Sydow once at the beginning. Um kind of releasing the demon back into the earth, um, which was strange. (laughs) And then there's like a a brief scene with Karis and him in the first half hour or so where Karis says he doesn't want to be a priest anymore. And then he's not in the movie again until they need someone to help Karis with the exorcism. Uh And he shows up and he rolls into that exorcism like a boss yeah it was awesome that whole the whole exorcism scene felt like an action sequence to me (laughs) like the way it was shot and like the the way uh max von cito's character commanded that room it felt like an action scene like it felt like two people fighting because he's he's you know in a spiritual struggle with this demon 
It's true. That's the thing is that he is a boss and that's why I wanted to know more about him. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he shows up into this movie, into this exorcism, and the demon just starts yelling like all these obscene things at him. And he just goes, be quiet, and hits it with holy water. And it was like, yeah. <laughs> Like, it was just like, it's on now. And, like, that whole sequence was fantastic. Yeah. I really liked that entire exorcism sequence. And I liked the way the movie built into that exorcism. Like, it very much felt like the pacing of the movie and every event, like, was leading up to that. Yeah, definitely. I even told you, like, I feel like these scenes with her being possessed are too short. And you were saying, I think it's building. I was like, okay. But that was also part of the frustration. Yeah. So, what I mean, what did you think of the performances in this movie? Well, like I said, the acting was... I thought the acting was really good. Um, I... I mean, it was, it was definitely all very dramatic, but it was also a dramatic situation. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, a lot of the character choices... I mean, not from the actors, but like I said, some of them are pretty stupid sometimes, and that was frustrating. But other than that... Like, the actual acting and the portrayal of what the characters are written as, I thought was pretty good. Yeah, I agree. Um, I thought Ellen Burstyn, in particular, as Reagan's mom, I think she did a really good job when it came to, like, mom mode in that movie. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Like, she would just, like, people would just be like, no, it's this. And she'd be like, no, what's your problem? And, like, she would just freak out on people on behalf of her daughter. Like, she did a very good job playing, like, a caring mother character. Like, mama bear. Like. Yeah, at one point, I mean, and she's an actor, rich actress, so she has a lot of power. And at one point, she was just like, you have, I have 88 doctors working on this, and none of you can figure this out. And I was like, you have... 88 doctors working on this? Yeah. How much money do you have? Yeah. You have too much. Yeah, I thought the the performances were really good. Um, Linda Blair, obviously being a very young actress at the time, had a, a very emotionally and physically demanding role, and I thought she owned it. Like, she did a really good job. Yeah, do you know how old she actually was? She was 12. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. She was 12 playing a 12-year-old. Okay. Yep. So... You know, it's it's kind of a shame her career. I don't know if she got pigeonholed after that or people thought she was a weirdo for doing that movie <laughs> at such a young age. But she never really did much after that. And yeah. she was a good little actress. Mm. Well, maybe it's better that way because a lot of child actors get real messed up. Yeah, I mean, she's been in things here and there. Like, she's always been in stuff, but nothing that I can think of outside of uh, the show we talked about last yeah. week. The Most Haunted Places in America. But that was also uh, narrated by Zelda Rubenstein, who was only famous for Poltergeist. Yeah. So, you know, that was that show was kind of just a black hole for people who were famous in one horror movie. Yeah. I thought Max Vancito was awesome. Like, he rolled into that exorcist like a boss, like I said. Like, his, his performance in that scene alone, I was like, yeah. <laughs> and then I really liked Father Karras. Uh, Jason Miller, I believe, played him. I think he did a really realistic job of what just a regular everyday priest would react to something like that i agree and you know my favorite scenes in the movie were with him uh when he talks to the detective Mm -hmm. i thought he did it i thought that was awesome i liked that entire interaction and the first couple times he talks to the demon without uh before when he's trying to gain evidence to talk to or to get approval to do an exorcism yeah he ta- he has a couple co- a couple very short conversations with the demon, but there's just so much going on like <laughs> between them that it's just like like the, it's just so tense yeah. and not in like a horror movie like something booga 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 scary is gonna happen, but there's just like tension like you know something's gonna give with these two people yeah. or these two characters. Um, so what did you think about the scariness of the movie? It definitely was not as scary, like, than that I thought it was by far. Probably because, like, I knew it was going to happen, kind of. Mm -hmm. Like, because you kind of talked about it being hopeful a little bit. Right. And also, I mean, the effects were really good. Yeah. 
But they also weren't, like, too scary now that we're in 2015. Yeah. So, I think the scariest and most impressive parts weren't even, like, the makeup stuff with her or anything. It was, like, the stuff moving around. Yeah. Um, that was, that's always a scary thing. It made me internally be amused that after everything was flying around in the room that the mom still thought it was a psych, like a, that she needed psychiatric help. <laughs> no, the doctors did. Yes, but she still didn't think it was like possession. Oh, she yeah. still thought it was something to do with her daughter. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, I thought the scariness was, you know, uh, it plays differently in 2015 than it does in 1973. I mean, it's dated. Like, it's it's still a 42-year-old movie. Yeah. Um, and 42-year-old movies look dated. It's no fault of the movie. It doesn't affect the quality of the movie because it's still a good movie. But, you know... Uh, the green vomit is not as scary now because everyone knows it's Anderson's pea soup. And yeah. it looks like Anderson's pea soup. I think that the scariest part actually is the things that she says and the stuff that, especially when he's recording that stuff. That was intense. Yeah. yeah. That was intense. And like, I feel like, especially if you're going into this movie in 1973, just all of the disturbing things that she says are really like unnerving. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the things that fascinated me about how this movie ended up with 10 Oscar nominations is I was like, whoa, I guess everyone was just cynical enough from the Vietnam War to be okay with this little girl (laughs) saying these horrible things. Um, Because I can't picture it like being nominated in, you know, earlier than the 70s. Yeah. Um, And I'm a little shocked that it was even nominated as early in the 70s as it was. But yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's still scary, like... You know, demon possession, if that's a thing you're scared of. Like, it's still a scary thought and scary premise. But it's more just a well-executed horror story than anything. I I feel like it's... This might be a weird comparison, but like Frankenstein. Like, Frankenstein's not scary. Mm -hmm. Anymore. There may have been a point in time when it was published. Like, in the... Was it in the 1800s? That book came out, like... Oh, I'm not actually sure by the date, by the way. I'm just... Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I'm sure Frankenstein was scary at one point. If you read Frankenstein now, it's not that scary. It's really good, though. It's really good, but I, that's the point I'm making is, like, if you watch The Exorcist now, it's not as scary as some of the stuff we see coming out nowadays. Mm-hmm. But it's still really good. But in 1973, the movie's super scary. Yeah. Like, I think going to see this in 1973, I'd have been like, what the F? Yeah. But we had that feeling with The Conjuring. Yeah. Like, The Conjuring, when we saw that, it was just like, what the F? Like, we were freaked out by that movie a lot. Um, And that movie is essentially an update of this movie. Like, Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I I think to... I think that movie... That, that The Exorcist isn't nearly as relentless as The Conjuring is. Because, like, The Conjuring starts stuff earlier than The Exorcist does. It, 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 yeah. it, it doesn't hammer you, but, like, enough stuff happens to where you're like, oh, dang, more and more freaky stuff is happening. Yep. And the, I was very vocal in the theater while <laughs> when the first time we saw this movie. Yeah. The Exorcist isn't that. The Exorcist is a character study. What, which is kind of what I was saying. Like, uh... Maybe I wasn't, but I was thinking it, (laughs) that um, just everything that's going on with all of them and the whole um, psychology part of it, like, it kind of takes the people, I feel like psychology is a really big theme of this movie. Yeah. And I feel like you can kind of use that to, like, psychoanalyze the priests and obviously the daughter even though she's going through some supernatural stuff and the mom and like you know everyone yeah Yeah. no i think there's a lot to digest character wise in this movie which is the most effective horror Mm -hmm. i would say like if you can connect with the characters like you give a crap about what they're going through and so it makes everything scarier yeah so like with this being a character piece I, i said this about the last movie we did on the podcast like if you take away all the supernatural scary stuff like it could be a play yeah. And that's what I said about Lawrence of Arabia. Like, if you took away all the sweeping desert shots, it's just a story <laughs> about a it's just a story about a guy. Like, uh-huh. it, it could just be a play. And I think the you know, the more we do this podcast, the more I'm realizing 
you can do that, you made a really good movie. Like, if you can take everything that's, like, the sort of gimmick, quote-unquote, of the movie away and still have, like, really solid characters that could be explored just because of who they are, mm-hmm. you did a good job. Mm-hmm. And William Friedkin did an awesome job. Mm-hmm. Like, this movie is super well shot by him. It's super well edited. I think he may have edited the movie himself. Okay. Um, It's super... It's super well, like, the is character-driven. Like, it's not a plot-driven horror movie, which I think is a mistake of a lot of modern horror mm-hmm. movies. Um, you know, it's it's kind of a perfect horror movie. And it, like, the more I'm thinking about it, like, you know, there's a reason this is the one that's so pointed to is, like, that's... Yeah, that's from The Exorcist. Like, the only reason this happens in these movies now is because The Exorcist did it. Well, yeah, gosh. Um, I think I was saying it was Insidious, but mm-hmm. what's the other one that's a similar name that I might be confusing it with? Inception. No. Uh, so there's the one with astral projection, and then there's the one with all the deaths and, like, the writer. The murder writer. Sinister. Okay. It's. I think it is Insidious, though. It sounded familiar. I haven't seen Sinister, so when you said it, it sounded familiar. Okay. I think Insidious has the exact same opening as The Exorcist. Mm -hmm. Red letters, violins that are just... That kind of thing. It was just that, and then the red letters of Insidious pops up, and when that happened in The Exorcist, I was like, okay. Um, The Conjuring has the same opening, too. Does it? Yeah, except it's yellow letters and they scroll oh, upwards. Okay. That's the only difference between those three movies, Insidious and The Conjuring, both directed by James Wan. There you go. So, there you go. Who's taking over the new Fast and Furious movie? And it Woo! looks sweet. If you guys didn't see the Super Bowl spot for it, you need to go watch it. Because a building drives out of one skyscraper into another skyscraper. Did you just say a building drives out of a skyscraper? Yeah. Wow. I mean a car. <laughs> The only way that they can top, <laughs> the only way that they can top anything they've done in the previous six movies is they drive buildings now, you guys. They modify buildings with engines and drive them around and they drive one building into another building and then out of that building, out of the window of that building, into a, another floor on a separate building. So there's a lot of buildings just running through buildings. Oh, goodness. In the I new Fast and Furious. I like how movie. you didn't notice it the second time either. Nope. <laughs> okay. I'm done laughing at you. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> I'm not cutting that. <laughs> um. Anyway, so we've clearly gotten off topic and have started talking about the Super Bowl spot for Furious 7, which is fine because it's sweet. Um, But, I I mean, is there anything else you want to say about uh, The Exorcist? Um, Just that it it not only... It was just such a big influence on all of horror, obviously, as we just talked about. And I think that if you're thinking about seeing it after all these years like we were, that you should just say yes because it's worth it just for the... The movie's so historical in the in the plot, but it's also so historical, like, in regards to our history that we're going through right now. Like, in regards of films that came after it and hmm. how people think of horror. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I think if you want a lot more movies to make a lot more sense to you, yeah. you should probably watch uh, The Exorcist. I think the same way... With Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and Psycho. Yeah. I mean, you know, go back and listen to episode two and three of the podcast, please. Um, <laughs> with with Psycho, like, if you want a lot more psychological thrillers to make a lot more sense, go watch Psycho or any Hitchcock movie because they're all because of him. Yeah. Um. If you want to, like, The Conjuring is a really good movie on its own, but if you want The Conjuring to make a lot more sense, go back and watch The Exorcist. If you like modern-day horror movies, it's because of The Exorcist. Like, The Exorcist is the Beatles of horror movies. (laughs) Like, without that movie existing, none of these other horror movies you love exist. Like, The Evil Dead, not a thing. Not a thing if The Exorcist exists. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, much like Cabin in the Woods. If you want to understand Cabin in the Woods, go watch Evil Dead. Dear Lord, let me just tell you. I did not get Cabin in the Woods, and I thought it was so stupid, and I hated it, and Ariel made me watch that movie, and I was like, I didn't get it. It was dumb. Why'd you make me go see this movie? Because it's awesome. And then I saw Evil Dead with you, and I was like, what? Why did nobody tell me to watch Evil Dead before I watched Cabin in the Frickin' Woods? Because Cabin in the Woods is awesome on its own. Movie's sweet. without knowing what it was trying to do, like, I was just like, I don't get this at all. Mm-hmm. Like, you need those movies, all the movies that we just said, you need those movies to have other movies in context of them. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's super important. I think that's, you know, the goal of the podcast is to sort of look back at a lot of movies. Although, stay tuned because the Fast and Furious Symposium is coming up <laughs> uh, before we see the new one. Um, but, it, it, you know, the overall theme of the podcast is reaching back in the past and pulling out our history, yeah. um, cinematically speaking, and talking about it and discussing it because there's a reason those things are still around in reference now. Like there's a if there weren't, they wouldn't be talked about still. Yeah, so, I have a question. Yes, it's, it's kind of unrelated to horror, and I don't know if you are willing to give out sneak peeks. Are you going through all all of the Fast and Furious movies? Um, probably not. Oh. I mean, we can watch them. Okay. Together. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not going to do one episode per. I'd have to start that already because it's coming out <laughs> April something. Just a- go back in time. April third. It's coming out April third. Okay. So once again, be on the lookout for a lot of dudes discussing a lot of sweet car chases. <laughs> do you have anything else to say? I don't know. So no. Okay. Um. Yeah. That's that's it for the Exorcist. Like. I don't know. I think this is one of the weirdly one of the more important movies I've done. Um, you know, the previous episode, Lawrence of Arabia, is the granddaddy of the sweeping epic. Mm-hmm. The Exorcist is the granddaddy of modern horror movies, and we have a lot more modern horror movies than we do sweeping epics nowadays. Yeah, um, definitely. So, you know, if you want to know your history, look look at it. It's readily available for you guys. Like. That's the beauty of older movies. They don't go yeah. away. Like, they just keep getting reissued. Yeah. The crappy ones fall by the wayside. But, yeah. you know, stuff stuff like this endures for a reason. And I'm I'm really glad we watched this, actually. Like, I, I think it it's, you know, I think it's almost more helpful than a textbook. Uh, if you want to understand what 20th century horror films are all about. And 21st yeah. century horror films are all about, like... You know, learn by doing, and <laughs> that's all you can do. So, if you uh, have thoughts on The Exorcist, feel free to contact the show, before and after show at gmail.com. If you have recommendations for movies, if you want to tell me what your favorite horror movies are, and I probably haven't seen them, uh, let me know. And uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at before and after pod. That's before the letter N, after pod on Twitter. And that's it, everyone. Thank you, Kristen, for joining me. Thank you. I'm glad to be a part of it. Yeah, it was super fun. Um, Until next time, do you want to say it? Go watch something. Dun-da-da. Sweet. It's still recording. Yep. Forever. Forever.